How did I find compassion for the struggles of my alcoholic loved one while she was still deep in her disease? Welcome to episode 364 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Steve, Debbie, Carolyn, Denise, Jennifer, Linda, and Jacob. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Steve, Debbie, Carolyn, Denise, Jennifer, Linda, and Jacob for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends of family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that in this show we represent ourselves rather than any 12-step program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer. I am your host today. Today's episode is a share that I gave at an al meeting a few weeks ago, and I thought I'd share it here in the podcast as well. Hi, I'm Spencer. I am a grateful member of the Worldwide Fellowship of Al-Anon. I've been in this program longer than I can believe, and I'm still recovering. I'm still finding out new things about myself. I'm still relying on my higher power to help me remove those defects that get in the way of my usefulness to myself and others. I wanted to talk today about how I came to find compassion for my alcoholic loved one and why and how that has helped me. At least that's what I hope to convey in my share today. I want to open with a little bit of the reading from Courage to Change, February 11th, which says, Tradition 5 helps me to set three goals to work the steps for myself, to have compassion for alcoholics, and to have compassion for those who come to Al-Anon. What strikes me is the amount of love to be found in those three goals. First, I love myself enough to try to heal and grow by working the 12 steps. Next, I call upon this strength to love those people I once thought were my enemies, recognizing that they too were struggling to cope with this terrible disease. Finally, I draw upon these experiences and extend love to those who are following a similar journey the families and friends of alcoholics, which includes everybody here today. When I think about compassion, when I talk about compassion, I always have this question, what does this word actually mean? And I thought I understood it, sort of. It's like having feeling together or something. I tried to break it down into like Latin roots or whatever. But I found a definition that describes it more in terms of action rather than just dry definition. What this definition said is that when I'm compassionate, I feel somebody else's pain or I recognize their pain. And then I do my best to alleviate the person's suffering. Now, that's a little dangerous for me as a codependent, that do my best to alleviate the person's suffering. And it's really because of the grace and the wisdom and the gifts that I have received in working this program, that I understand do my best to mean do those things that are mine to do. The serenity prayer is a guide here. Grant me the wisdom to know the difference. 
Because before I came to Al-Anon, I thought it was my job to fix everybody's suffering. As you might imagine, that's not really a sustainable way to live. It sucks all my energy into other people and leaves none for myself. And so I end up frustrated, resentful, and angry. And probably other things as well, like tired. When the alcoholism in my family started to reach, I don't know if I could say a peak level, but certainly a level where I was trying to do my best to fix it. And fix is not the same word as alleviate, you know, it's not. I had no compassion at that point. What I had was, as I said, anger, frustration, and resentment. I thought that my loved one needed to fix her drinking. My hope was she could just drink normally. That, of course, as many of us have recognized, turned out not to be the case. But I really thought she was the one with the problem and she just needed to fix it and then we would be fine. I did not at all recognize my contributions to the situation. And I certainly didn't recognize my contributions to the unmanageability of my life. So there was no compassion there. It was just like, go fix yourself, damn it. Why, why is compassion a good thing for me? Well, I think that the reading from Courage to Change expresses that in part. It's about love. It's about being able to help other people. It's me about being able to help myself. But for me, if I can have compassion for the struggles of my loved one, that helps me to release my anger, resentment, and frustration. Or to release the anger, resentment, and frustration that I had at her. So I start to feel better. That's a good thing. On the flip side, having compassion for my alcoholic loved one means that I stop blaming her, that I am able to start supporting her. And again, tricky word there, support. Or uh, the words from Tradition 5 says, by encouraging and understanding our alcoholic relatives. I've had a number of lessons from life, from my higher power, as I've worked this program to understand that, for me, support should not, cannot go beyond doing those things that I can do for somebody else that they can't do for themselves and that they have asked me to help with. There's a lot of boundaries around that. I had no boundaries originally, of course. I thought everything was mine to, to fix, to help. Help is the sunny side of control. That's really what it was about. Because if I can control your behavior, then my life will be less unmanageable, or so I thought. So how did I get from anger, resentment, and frustration to compassion and love? There's a simple answer that is not a simple answer. And the simple answer is, well, I did what the program told me to do. I came to meetings. I read the literature. I got a sponsor. I worked the steps. And as is suggested in the reading in how Elanon works, I think it's either in Tradition 5 or, or somewhere else in the book, it suggests that we learn about the disease of alcoholism. Okay, that sounds simple, but how does it get me anywhere? And that's the part that I don't really understand. I just know that it did. Some of it I can tease out pretty clearly. 
learning about the disease concept. One of the treatment centers that my loved one was in had a series of lectures from the center director about alcoholism as a disease, about all kinds of aspects of it, about recovery, about relapse. That was a scary one. And I started to see that this was not a choice. This was not a moral weakness or failing, that this was something that was different about the way her body and her brain reacted to alcohol that was built into her, that she couldn't change that. And as, again, as our literature suggests, when I come to see alcoholism as a disease, when I compare it to cancer or to diabetes, to understand that if I have diabetes, my body reacts differently to sugar. And you know, I have to control the way that I take in sugar. Similarly, with the disease of alcoholism, the body and the mind react differently. The difficult part for me about recognizing alcoholism as a disease is that it affects not only the way uh, in which the body works, but it affects the behavior of the affected person. It changes the behavior and it's, as, as again, as our literature says, it's a disease of relationships. And it's really harder to see that it is something like cancer when it's also changing the way that, that I relate, that I'm able to relate, that it changes the personality um, of the person that I love. That helped. I think the thing that really brought me to a depth of understanding and compassion was attending open AA meetings, hearing other alcoholics tell their stories of what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. I think in the first few years of my Al-Anon participation, my Al-Anon membership, I went to over a 100 open AA meetings. And those meetings did two things for me. One, as I said, is, is I started to see the pattern. I started to see that although here were people from different walks of life, different genders, different ages, different religions, different social milieus that they came from. The arc of the story was the same. The details were wildly different, but the arc of the story was the same. And I remember vividly one young woman talking about her first drink, about how she had a beer and all her friends had a beer. And all she could think about for the rest of that evening was, when was she going to get another one? And I thought this was not a choice that, that she made. You know, this was something that, that her body did to her. The other thing that those meetings gave me was hope, because at this point, my loved one was not yet in recovery. She had found recovery for periods of time, but was still drinking. And I needed that hope. I needed to see that there were people who had gone way, way down and had come back. And that could still happen for her. I don't remember when this came to me. I'm sure it was a ways into recovery after I'd been to a bunch of those AA meetings and learned a lot about alcoholism and heard a lot of people's stories. But I had this image that she was sitting in the passenger seat of a car and her disease was driving the car and it was driving it wildly, speeding taking chances, narrowly avoiding accidents. And she was sitting in the passenger seat, just screaming in terror. And when I could see her disease in that way, then 
the anger, the frustration, the resentment could evaporate, could be lifted from me. And I could have that compassion to try to do whatever I could, which I recognized was not a whole lot. But I could be there. I could be a loving support. And that, along with a lot of other stuff I got from this program, enabled me to stay in relation until the day when she said, I don't want to drink today. And that was several years into Al-Anon for me. And at that point, I had a fair measure of happiness and serenity that this program promises, even though the chaos of active alcoholism was still there in my life, was still there in my home. And that's not the end of the story, of course, because as, again, I think it's the reading on step one in, in how Al-Anon works. Al-Anon does not promise that every alcoholic will get sober or that sobriety will solve all our problems. And what I had come to understand and what I continue to come to understand is that the person who qualifies me for Al-Anon membership is me. It took being in a close relationship with an alcoholic to get me here because I don't know about you, but I wouldn't come into a 12-step recovery program saying, life is wonderful. I think I'll make it better. It just wasn't what brought me here. Um, I spent years saying, hell no, until it got bad enough that I had to come, that I had that gift of desperation to get me here. So yeah, I continue to work this program for myself. I continue to work this program to support those in my life who may still be having trouble with alcohol or drugs. And I continue to work this program for those of you who are here. And just that tradition five, it, it just, it really speaks to me. It tells me why I'm here. It tells me what I need to do while I'm here. So here I am. My loved one is screaming in terror as her alcoholism is driving her further and further down. How do I keep serenity? How do I find happiness in life while this horrible thing is still happening? And that's where some of the other tools of this program come in for me. The thing that actually triggered me to come to my first Al-Anon meeting was hearing somebody at the treatment center say, I didn't cause it. I couldn't cure it. And I couldn't control it. And I have to keep reminding myself of that. I didn't cause her disease. I couldn't cure it. I couldn't control it. And that was actually brought me lightness. It brought me relief. And when I find myself trying to control anyone, whether it's my loved one, whether it's my children, whether it's people at work, I can come back to that. I didn't cause my children to do the things that they did that I was like, what, why would you think that was a good idea? And I can't, I couldn't control them. You know, when I was early in the program, I said, look, I can't even stop a baby from crying. I am infinitely more powerful than that baby. I can't make that baby stop crying. Why should I think I can control somebody who is older, has more of a will of their own? And recognizing that then relieves me of that frustration and resentment of trying to. Detachment was just huge for me. Loving detachment in particular. Of course, when I started out in the program, the only kind of detachment I had was the middle finger detachment, as I like to call it, detachment with anger. But with the help of this program, with the help of the steps and everybody in all of the rooms and my sponsor and my higher power, I was able to separate 
my hate of the disease from my love for the person. And that took a couple of years for me to the moment when I looked at her and she was drunk and passed out. And I thought, or I heard this voice in my head, I don't know, say, that is the person that you love. She is still in there, but she is in the grips of this horrible disease that makes her act in ways that, that you detest. And that was when I recognized that I could stay in relationship with this person by being able to detach myself from her disease and to be able to detach the person that she still was from the way in which the disease caused her to act. So detachment was really a really powerful tool for me, but it's not an easy tool to practice, that's for sure. And of course, that tool that I heard in the very first meeting and that I hear in every single meeting that is so critical in this work, and that is the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change and courage to change the things I can. And most importantly, wisdom to know the difference. And I love the very simplification of that, which is the things that I cannot change is everybody else. What I can is myself. Um, And that's the wisdom. Gives me the direction of where to put my energy. Accepting that there are things that I cannot change means that I don't waste my energy trying to change them. And having that wisdom that I ask for, having that to know what are the things that I can change, which mostly is myself, as I said, that's where I can put my energy. That's where I can have change. That's where I can get better. And that's where all of the relationships that I'm in can get better. And I believe, I don't take any credit, but I believe that being able to get out of her way, get out of the way of the progression of her disease, to stop enabling and start supporting, made it possible for her to find that moment when she found sobriety. And I know that doesn't happen for everybody, and I am blessed beyond knowing that she did and that we've been able to not only reconstruct the relationship that we had, but make it deeper and stronger. Next month we'll be celebrating 37 years married. And we were about halfway into that when the disease really started kicking my butt. And I didn't know whether I was going to stay married or not. And I am so grateful that I finally got pushed and dragged by my situation into Al-Anon, that I could find recovery to continue to have the life that I have now. I'm glad that you're all here. Thank you for listening, and I hope something I said might have touched a few of you. Erin sent some song suggestions. The complete list of her suggestions are in a Spotify playlist, which I will include in the show notes at therecovery.show slash 363. This song is called Million Reasons by Lady Gaga. I hadn't heard it before, actually, but I started playing it, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is perfect. Some lyrics from the song here. You're giving me a million reasons to let you go. You're giving me a million reasons to quit the show. You're giving me a million reasons. 
Give me a million reasons, giving me a million reasons, about a million reasons. I've got a hundred million reasons to walk away, but baby, I just need one good one to stay. I think that speaks to my experience of the daily wearing down events that happen in active alcoholism and finding that compassion that enabled me to stay. So what's coming up? We will be recording an episode with a listener about fear of abandonment. We welcome your thoughts. You can join the conversation, leave us a voicemail, or send us an email with your feedback or questions and some thoughts here that might help. When have I feared being abandoned? How did that feel like? And what recovery tools can I use when this fear rises up? You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now, 734-707-8795. You can use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer, or you can send a voice memo or email to feedback at therecovery.show. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope or your questions about today's topic of compassion or any of our upcoming topics, including fear of abandonment. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. If you would like advance notice for some of our topics so that you can contribute to that topic, you can sign up for our mailing list by sending an email to feedback at therecovery.show. Put email in the subject line to make it easier to spot. And our website is therecovery.show, where we have all the information about the show, including notes for each episode, videos for the music we chose, and so on. What did you have to say this week? We'll start with a voicemail from Molly. Hi, Spencer. This is Molly. I'll just start by saying I feel pretty nervous leaving this message, but I'm going to do it anyway. Yesterday, I turned on the recovery show, and it was such a nice surprise to hear you reading a letter from me about my experience with hyper empathy. Maybe that gave me a little confidence just to reach out again. But the idea I have for you for the show is about how in the recovery community, how people are affected by being adopted. And I was adopted at three weeks old. I didn't really look at this until I was like in recovery, which started about four years ago. Four years ago, I started working with a therapist and then almost three years of Al-Anon. And I used to look at being adopted only as the glass is half full, lucky me, but I realized there are so many you know, other sides to that. It's a trauma, really. And I remember the first time I ever led an Al-Anon meeting when I first joined Al-Anon. I introduced myself and I said something about being adopted and that I had just done a quick Google search about adoption and hypervigilance. And other people who were adopted shared with me after the meeting about this. So I think it might be an interesting topic because whether you're adopted or knowing someone who's adopted or just the issues that come with it that many people can relate to in their own ways. I'll try not to make this too long, but what I've read is quite often somebody who's adopted, it manifests in different ways. And in my family with two adopted brothers, we were one of each. I was the good one, the one who's like, look at me, I'm good. So you're going to keep me, right? I had my older brother who was the first alcoholic in my life, 
he pushed the boundaries constantly. And he was more of the one who was going to, oh, you're going to keep me, huh? Even if I do this, not consciously. But he's still today struggling with alcoholism. And then my younger brother who just kept everything locked inside. And actually, as I'm saying this to you, he has had a lot of sickness in his life. Now it makes me think of the connection with that. The body knows what's going on. I have so much to say on this one. I'd actually even be open to talking about it with you or if you had any curiosity or even, I guess, on the show. But I think it would be of interest to people, your sense of self, the hypervigilance, the being able to look at both sides of adoption, the gratitude and the, the grief and the loss. And there's grief and loss on every side of the adoption triangle for the parents who couldn't have their own kids, for the birth mother who gave you away. And I've met my birth mother, so I understand both sides. And isn't it interesting? They said many times people who are adopted because of their lack of their sense of self and the early trauma in their lives fall into addiction. But for the grace of God, my addiction was other people and control. But my birth mother suffered from addiction and is about 30 years sober. So it's really fascinating to me, the topic. So anyway, just wanted to put that out there. And just like with Alan, you can take it or leave it. All right. Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you for that idea, Molly. Again, this is a topic that I would have to rely on input from other people because it's not my experience. If you or somebody with that experience would like to co-host, we could uh, give it a try. Thanks. Lauren writes, Spencer, you mentioned in some episode about a relationship program that I believe you and your wife went to live, but that has a website and online resources that couples can access. I googled it months ago when I listened to that episode, and it looked really good, very consistent with the 12 Steps program. I'm wondering if you can share the name of the program so I can find it again. I'm trying so hard to maintain my marriage with my husband, and I know he needs to be willing to do the work, too. Lauren. I wrote back and said, geez, I remember the thing, but I don't remember the name. And she writes back a little later, says, I found it. It's at lovingsober.com, and I will put that link in the show notes at therecovery.show slash 363. Casey left a comment on domestic violence and other unacceptable behavior, episode 356. Oh my God, this is almost verbatim my story with my ex-husband, all the way down to my therapist recommending Patricia Evans and telling me to highlight everything familiar. The book was yellow. I eventually had to flee after he put me in lockdown and threatened taking my kids. In the end, he's a lawyer and ended up with custody. I'm still struggling after all this as he's a narcissist and has my boy. It's been a nightmare. Casey, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that, and uh, I'm glad that you're okay. And you will come through it in some way with the help of your higher power, I'm sure. Thanks for writing. Andrea left us a voicemail about the same episode. Hi, this is Andrea, and this morning as I was on my way to court to deal with a temporary restraining order, I was listening to the podcast about um, running away from scary feelings, and I feel like that's what I've been doing ever since everything happened with my husband at the beginning of December for the past six months I've been focusing on getting all of the things handled, making sure the kids are 
taken care of, making sure we have our finances are taken care of, bills paid, just doing all my footwork. And it just hit me this week that I haven't dealt with the grieving process or the emotions that have come up. I've been just pushing through to get everything handled. And lately I've been just having outbursts of, of emotion, of, of crying, like taking the bird to the vet or um, talking to him about the handle the vet's recommendations for his bird or just, I don't know, at odd things. I've been just feeling really weepy and crying, and I think it's because I have some unprocessed feelings that I was running away from. So I appreciate the co-host sharing about her uh, issue with accepting unacceptable behavior in that podcast, and I really appreciate your show, Spencer, and it's been really beneficial to me in my recovery, and I just listen to the podcast when it's late at night after my kids have gone in bed, to bed or I'm doing dishes, cleaning the kitchen, or folding laundry. It's a never-ending process, but it makes those times of doing mundane work that's necessary more enjoyable to know. I can have a two-for-one where I can do some self-care and listen to the podcast and get these necessary things done at the same time. So thank you, and keep up the good work. Thank you for your service. Thank you for calling, Andrea. Kathleen writes, Morning. Thank you for your work. So meaningful. I was hoping you might consider doing episodes on, and she lists three topics here, childhood sexual abuse and Al-Anon, growing up with a disabled family member and Al-Anon, and lastly, teachers in Al-Anon. All the best. Thank you, Kathleen. Those are all interesting topics that I don't have any experience with. If you would like to co-host on any of those topics, let me know, and we'll set up a time to do it. April left us a voicemail. Hi, my name is April. I'm from Tennessee, and I've been listening to the recovery show for off and on for probably a year or so. And something recently has come up, and I, I searched looking to see if there are any episodes specifically about making amends. And I was just wondering if you guys could do a show specifically on making amends and what that can look like, maybe in some different scenarios. But specifically, can you make amends without saying the words, I'm sorry? I have some some trauma attached to the words, I'm sorry, where someone required me to say the words, I'm sorry, in a very specific way. And so that just really has some just some painful emotions attached to those words. And my therapist had recommended that I, I bury those words. I'm sorry, that they're just words. They don't necessarily mean anything. And to come up, we need to understand a different way to make amends. And so I was just wondering if you guys could talk about that and give us some um, ideas on how to complete step two. Thanks. Thanks, April, for that question. We've done a number of episodes where we have talked about making amends and actually how making amends is different from apologizing. Definitely, you can make amends without saying those two words. A a recommended pattern for doing that is to say, I did this thing that hurt you, and this is what I'm doing now 
to try to make up for that, which actually is stronger than just, I'm sorry, because it says, and I'm making changes so that that won't happen again. I'm making changes to try to make up for the harm I did. For example, the the easy one is financial harm, paying it back. So yeah, it's definitely possible. I would search step nine, because that's the immense step. Step 10 is when we were wrong, promptly admitted it, which definitely is related as well. I had a, an incident recently where I missed an appointment. I thought I could lie and say, oh my God, I got busy and I wasn't able to come. It was a Zoom meeting, come is relative. But what I said was, I apologized for missing the meeting. No, I'm sorry there. So maybe if it's those specific words, that I had not set up my calendar on my phone to alert me before the meeting and that I have fixed that situation so that future meetings, because there's a series of these meetings, uh, I will be alerted and will be able to make it. So again, you can do that without saying I'm sorry. So those are just some ideas. And certainly an episode on amends would also be a good thing to do someday. Bonnie left a comment on avoidance, running away from scary feelings, number 362. Thank you. I found your podcast while my husband was in a treatment program. My mom was also an NA, but I did not know or understand what Al-Anon was and is. I really appreciate finding your podcast, and it meant a lot to me at this time in my life. I learned so much about avoidance and really appreciated this format and your show. Thanks, Bonnie. Louise left us a voicemail. This was about episode 347. She says she wasn't sure what the number is. So it's 347. Hi, Spencer. This is Louise calling from California. I just listened to an episode, and I apologize. I don't know what number it is. I think it's the one called, if I'm not the problem, what's the solution, or something like that. So I'm responding because there was a email from a lady by the name of Caroline, and she was asking about relationships with food and recovery, and I just wanted to give my little two cents worth. I've been in program over five years in Al-Anon primarily, But last November of 2020, I just had a sense to check out Overeaters Anonymous. I realized I was eating emotionally. I was using food in the same way my qualifier uses alcohol. So I just jumped on YouTube, actually, and typed in Overeaters and immediately identified while listening to the speakers share. And then I went onto their website. W.oa.org and got a list of all of their meetings, jumped onto a phone meeting the very next morning and it was a meditation meeting where they all meditated together for I think 20 minutes or so and then there were readings very much like Al-Anon but all geared toward using food as a substance to basically fill up that empty spot, the same thing the alcoholics do with the alcohol and how there's certain foods that can really trigger, you know, that phenomenon of craving that the alcoholics experience, and how it really is, again, a spiritual malady. And we go through the big book. We use the big book of OA. Anyway, I picked up a sponsor that very same day. This wonderful lady called me, and we had a conversation, and I asked her to be my sponsor. It's just been an amazing journey for me. I've never been a hugely overweight person, but I've had a a struggle with the same 30 pounds. I lose it, I gain it, I lose it, I gain it. And I had a concept about OA where I thought it was for people that just had a huge weight problem. And 
boy, was I wrong. It's for anybody that has struggled with a relationship with food, whether you be anorexic or bulimic or a yo-yo dieter or a compulsive overeater. And it's just such a beautiful program. I cannot say enough good things about it. So I strongly encourage anybody to check them out. It's changed my life completely. And it's really opened up my eyes to the big book of OA. The first time I went through that book, it was so that I could identify with my loved one. Now I'm going through the big book with a different pair of eyeglasses. These glasses are for me. Seeing where every time it has the word alcohol in there, in my mind, I can change it to compulsive overeating. I am definitely a sugar-holic. I used to say that jokingly, but now I say it with 100% sincerity of heart. I absolutely have an addiction to sugar, and I just don't touch it. I just don't touch it. And I, it doesn't call to me anymore either, which is a miracle. So anyway, that's all I have. wanted to say, again, you have really enhanced my program. I love listening to you. You're always there when I need you. I love all of the emails. I love all of the phone messages. And all the topics are just incredible. So have a blessed day. Keep doing what you're doing. And peace and serenity to everybody out there listening. Bye. Thank you. Thank you, Louise. Several people have written to me about why is the podcast not on Spotify? I'd like to listen to the podcast on Spotify. I'd like to be able to make playlists of my favorite episodes. I am working on that to... The issue that Spotify has with me or I have with Spotify is that I have a number of episodes that have copyrighted music in them and Spotify's terms of service absolutely forbid that. And so I'm having to make sure that I have found all of those and will be excluding them from what I give to Spotify. And that also means that I have actually a separate list of episodes that will go on Spotify. So there's a little bit of a a little bit extra work there to make that happen, Uh, but hopefully it will be happening soon. Alina has sent us shares about Life on Life's Terms, which was episode 118, and Worry, which was episode 119. Hello, my name's Alina. I just wanted to share on episode 118. It was entitled Life on Life's Terms. This is a good one for me right now because I feel like there's so many changes going on around me. I think I've shared before that somebody that I've worked with for a long time, basically my superior and I followed him from one office to another office, is retiring. I mean, we worked together for 20 years and he's going to be retiring in a month and that's a lot of change. He's a good person. I've worked with him for a long time and like I said, I followed him from another office and I know at times he is very organized in particular. He likes things a certain way. It's kind of like how I function a little bit. Plus, I just respect him in this profession. I look up to him in that way, and he's taught me so much. It's going to be really difficult. And I think it is time for him to retire only because I think there's been a lot going on in his life. I can see that the job is like taking its toll on him. But anyway, the last month, I feel like it's been really challenging for me only because I can see and I don't know if there's things going on in his personal life that I'm not aware of, or if it's just the last month and he's really realizing that this is it. Like after another month, he's going to be retired. So he's just being a little more difficult than he normally can be. And so it's really challenging for me to accept that. But 
I just have to realize it's not about me and I just have to do the best that I can do. I don't want it to cause a disruption as far as his last month goes and it affecting me or him in a negative way. You know, definitely accepting things is really hard. I don't know what's going to happen after he leaves or getting an adjustment in staff and I've decided to stay at this office, so we'll see how things go. I'm looking forward to it, but at the same time, I'm nervous because change is really hard for me. Definitely trying to accept life on life's terms in that aspect. And then also with one of my qualifiers who had relapsed like two months ago, he's doing some things that are making me nervous and I realize it's triggering me and stuff. I've shared with my sponsor a little bit and another Al-Anon friend, and I just have to learn to breathe and realize that he has his higher power working for him and I have mine. But also, at the same time, he's dabbling in recovery a little bit, so it makes me excited that he's thinking about that again because he really hasn't had that in probably a good, at least a year. And so I think it would be beneficial for him, but that's not for me to decide. And I'm thinking that God is wanting these things to happen a certain way for me to see them and for him to see them. But is it is affecting our relationship a little bit. I don't know. Part of me feels like I used to be able to communicate with him and talk to him and tell him how I was feeling and not have an argument. But I would say the last, definitely the last five or six months, if I bring up something like a feeling that I'm feeling, or I'm feeling this way, or I'm feeling upset, and I explain to him why, whether or not it involves him or something at work or something with a family member, it ends up in an argument for some reason because I'm not allowed to have feelings. And I know that for him, he doesn't get to communicate his feelings in his family, but I just don't understand why the change has happened in the last five months. I don't know if it's work-related stress for him. So it's really hard for me to determine right now if I communicate? Do I fake it and act like everything's okay? Um, So I don't know. That's just something I need to think about. And like I said, it's life on life's terms all around me right now. And I think that's just a struggle for me right now. So I appreciate this topic. Definitely about acceptance, pausing a little bit before I react and not go to that crazy place in my head. I hope everyone has a good day. Thanks. I was going to share on episode um, 119, which was about worrying. I like this episode only because I tend to sometimes worry about things that are out of my control. And I always have to remind myself that I don't have control over what goes on around me, what happens with the future. I can't worry about the past because that's already gone. And worrying, I guess, is not worth it. It doesn't do me any good. And sometimes worrying, I might be worrying over something that really isn't a big deal after all, or maybe I assume something and start obsessing and worrying about it. And then it ends up to be nothing, but it is hard. I guess for me, I jump to that and then I have to backtrack and catch myself and calm myself down and maybe reason things out with someone or pray about it. So I know that my ability to handle things has changed since I've been in Al-Anon and I'm grateful for that. I know that when my qualifier would relapse. It used to take me to a really dark place in the beginning and I would get depressed. I wouldn't 
get out of bed and it would be hard to be at work and be in the moment and concentrate on my job and what needs to be done. And a lot of times work basically was the only thing, like I would be on autopilot and I'd be doing things just to keep my mind busy, but I wouldn't concentrate on self-care and I wouldn't concentrate on doing things that are healthy for me. I wouldn't eat, wouldn't sleep. I would cry a lot. I would try to play out certain fantasies or the way I think that things are going to happen or conversations. And it just was a lot not knowing where that person was out on the street and if they were alive, dead, needed help, hungry, doing something like dangerous. So it just was a lot. And I know that with my qualifiers recent relapse, I'm able to handle things a little better. I know that I didn't cause it. I can't control it and I can't cure it. That always helps bring my mind at ease. I'm not saying I'm completely numb to anything and I still do worry, but at least I don't obsess about it. I can be a little bit upset or sad by it or hurt, but I don't stay in bed. I don't obsess about it at night. I think about it and then I put it away. I give it to God and know that things happen the way they're going to happen and I can't make myself sick over it. This program has really taught me a lot, things that I didn't really think that it could. And I didn't even see it happening when it was happening. I just know that my sponsor and one of my Alan on friends really has noticed it in me. And I'll pick up a reading or extra readings, I should say, because I do read every day. But I'll do extra reading, maybe work on my step work a little more. Maybe I definitely journal about it. I feel like when I put it on paper, I can set it free and, and let go. But it's definitely a good topic. And I would recommend it to anybody that's struggling with anything with their qualifiers. Again, thanks for letting me share. Thanks, Alina, for continuing to share. The other song that I'm including in this episode also comes from Aaron. And as I said, I put all of Aaron's suggestions in a playlist on this episode. Number 363, the slash 363. This one is titled Decide to Be Happy. It's by Mr. Wives. It's a fun song. Decide to be happy. Music, it saved me, but it drives me crazy because it forms my eyes to take a look and see. Gotta decide to be happy. Because it don't always come naturally. Been feeling like a stranger in my body. I haven't been myself in a while. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Got to decide to be happy. Happy. Because it don't always come naturally. Because flowers don't grow without the rain, and goodness don't grow without the pain. Flowers don't grow without the rain. Goodness don't grow without the pain. And I think this just, it, it talks about a number of things. One is that in recovery, we can make the decision. To some extent, we can make decisions about how we want to feel, how we want to respond to situations. It sounds very trite, but in in a very real way, we can decide to see the good in the situation. We've talked about finding gratitude and and in a very real way decide to be happy, even with the pain, even with the rain. And I wouldn't be here if it hadn't been for the pain. I would not have found this program, for which I'm so grateful. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace growing you one day at a time.